erotophobes and spooky boys. Desensitize yourself to the crushing feelings of impending doom. Review the unique anatomy of your own melancholy. And thank your adaptive human evolution for helping steer you clear of perilous situations such as ordering a pizza over the phone. Because uh, 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 it's time to talk tall to me. I always get nervous when I have to tell people my phone number over the phone. Really? I, I always have to write it down. Like ahead of time so you yeah. can read it? Bizarre. Welcome back. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A lengthy exposure therapy session in the treatment facilities of Prague Rock in which Nyctophobic Nick and Ornithophobic Omen attempt to diagnose the mood disorders of every single track that long-suffering rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced. We will take copious notes on the babbling of Martin Brainwave Bar, have a panic attack over John Peter Vitesse's vestibular system, and delve into the deindividualization process of David Principal of Parsimony Peg. <laughs> All of this we will do, and yet more, if it means we can free ourselves from the flute fixation that that is the inevitable result of overexposure to Ian Agoraphobia Anderson. Wow. Wow. Practice saying that one out loud. Very good. Thank you. So, Nick, this is a very exciting episode here in the world of Talk Tall to me. That it is, correct? For more than one reason. The reasons are, if in, I may. In, in we... order in order of least importance, please. Okay. Okay. Least important, we are changing up our format. We're going to have... A little more direct jumping into the song, a little less housekeeping at the top of the episode. We're going to save some of the housekeeping for the middle of the episode. Just changing stuff up a bit, a little spring cleaning, a little refresh situation over here. A little zhuzh. More excitingly, Nick, we are starting a whole new album. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. We are on to the Broadsword and the Beast album. Number 14 by Jethro Tull. Lucky 14. Lucky 14 came out in 1982, still before you and I were born. Yeah. <laughs> but we are we are in our 80s. We're going a little bit more into our prog folky art sound here. Uh, I think I, you and I were discussing prior to this, and we've had a bit of a bit of a discussion in the Discord leading into this album really mostly talking about a kind of broadsword is is the the great tectonic shift it seems in tall fans yes totally everyone is invested even into a most people are really happy with a but for some reason broadsword is where we start losing people or gaining new people fair enough or or just the fact that people are People are less likely to see their albums as a grand, perfect album. You know, they there are there. We're starting to see like uh, people picking songs, picking and choosing, and and seeing more fault in the albums. Yeah. Well, everyone's a critic. It's it's true. It's true. including our critics. 
<laughs> we have a little bit of a personnel shift from the previous album. We have retained the services of Mr. Ian Anderson, Correct. Martin Barr, David Pegg. And that's it. We've got two two new folks joining. Well, one one new and one not so new, actually. We have, uh, on drums, we've got Jerry Conway taking the place of Mark Craney. Mark only lasted for one round. Indeed. And... Coming back, not a tall alum, but an Ian Anderson alum, we got PJV, Peter John Vatisse coming in on backing vocals, keyboards, piano, and synthesizer. We saw him last on Walk Into Light. Correct. Ian's first solo album. That is exciting. That was, oh gosh, when was Walk Into Light? I think it's later. Oh shit. Yeah, it is. So, so. <laughs> wow. So PJV is actually coming back from the future because Walk Into Light is not until 83. So th- and this is 82. So we've so, got that's kind of exciting actually thinking about that. I'm going to keep that in mind when I listen to stuff on here. To say it another way, we're working with Peter John Vatisse for the first time. Right. And we'll see him again in the future. That's right. So, without further ado, and maybe even with a little bit of further ado't, Nick, shall we get into our very first track off of the album? Oh my gosh, let's do it. Let's dive into Beastie. Beastie. Let's listen to Beastie. Shut up and listen. <laughs> no, but for real, let's listen. But seriously, let's listen. What a ripper to open with. Oh, my goodness. Now, Nick, I I think that we can't avoid talking a little bit about the structure of the album as we're getting into this song. Okay. How so? The album was at one point going to be called Beastie. Yeah. But when they were putting it together track-wise, they realized that Broadsword was such a strong opener for the second side that it actually made sense to sort of give one side of the album to the beast and the other side to the broadsword. Okay, sure. Which I think is such a fascinating kind of setup, both philosophically and narrative-wise. I mean, it's certainly not a concept album in the same way that we've seen other concept albums from Tall, but this sets up, you know, a a thesis, a a dichotomy of ideas already, just with the title. I believe... We had a listener at one point who wrote in that they had a a buddy record this album. They they had Aqualung on one side and this album on the other or something, but they recorded it reverse. So in their mind, Broadsword was always the starter and Beastie was the second part of the album. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think someone wrote in and, and told us that. It reminds me, you know, in this this kind of setting up this idea of like the the beast as this thing that's evil and and pernicious and the broadsword as being you know the defense of of mankind it reminds me of this uh, line of poetry that i read in a book called the white fire of time and i forget the poet's name but she has a poem called 13 aphorisms on the nature of evil and it's just these 13 aphorisms on the nature of evil where she's saying you know evil does this and is this and the final one is consciousness is the only sword that makes evil quake. Ooh. 
That is Ellen Hinsey. It is Ellen Hinsey. Yes, Blood Axe Publishers. Yes, yeah, Blood Axe Books. Very good. But I just love that idea, you know, kind of bringing that, offering that to this album of, you know, there's the beast and then there's, what is the broadsword exactly? Yeah, I suppose uh, depending on, on how you are anthropomorphizing the beast, what you are turning into the beast, you know, the broadsword could be any number of things, but I think, what was it, consciousness? Yeah, that's the line from Ellen. Yeah, an awareness is really a, a very a very potent weapon for any number of beasties. Yeah, your own mind, which yeah. is, funnily enough, where the beast also resides. So, oh, Nick, yeah. <laughs> as, as we all know. Goo. Shall we talk about this song and and explore the beast? Let's, yeah, let's get into music. We've got a really fine balance of synth and folk feeling. It's like yes. it's like we took the last two albums, we took Stormwatch and A and bred them to make this perfect Pokemon. And and it's like it's like Peter John Vatisse is like is a little less of an influence electronically than Eddie Jobson was. Agreed. You know? But thinking that A was originally supposed to be a solo album, it also makes sense that this is maybe originally the next the next generative step from Stormwatch to yeah. to Broadsword, which then brings us into Under Wraps, which is super electronic. You know, I I've always yeah. thought that Beastie was such a weird spot. Broadsword should have been next. It should have been Stormwatch, Broadsword. A, then under wraps. I think that progression makes so much more sense. Well, and in the other Sonically. timeline, that is what happened. However, in our timeline, in our timeline, yeah, I think that it's sort of a you know they they pushed really far into the into the world of the synth with the with A, and obviously you know there's kind of a Theseus's ship of of personnel here, so it's hard to sure. say who the they is. But let's say Ian, right, pushed really far into the digital aesthetic, and now is bringing back some of the more traditional rock and folk elements and blending them in a really delightful way. But it's also 82. Well, they recorded in 81. So it's also early 80s where the ever-presence of synth is becoming more and more prominent. So, yes. of course, they're going to be they're going to be working these things in. Maybe they're going to pull back from A a little bit, but but of course they want to they want to work them in and keep them prevalent and like we'll be reminded several times even songs from the wood had some pretty serious synth indeed and you know the opening of this song is a great example of synth being used in a very narrative manner it's very nice the opening of this album of this song is i i think of it as a a digital a digitally enhanced hellscape of sound <laughs> It really yeah. sounds like you're taking the, you know, you're taking the evening train through Dante's Inferno and it's just, you know, these unearthly screams and this sense of doom and, you know, this cacophony of of suffering and it's so cool. It's it's an 8-bit nightmare or maybe 16-bit, but yeah. <laughs> maybe 16. <laughs> Add one more bit, what'll it hurt? Just one more bit, you know you want it. Uh yeah, there there is an eeriness to, particularly to that opening sound. There's like a little reverb or echo Very on unsettling. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, 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 
And then straight away, we have the more identifiable organ coming through. With a little uh, a little melody there. The drums kick in pretty quickly. From early days of infancy through trembling years of youth. And then there's not much of a long introduction. Ian brings in the vocals. Yep. Pretty soon after just a couple of measures. Right. So we've got Peter John Vatisse on keyboards and piano and synthesizer, obviously. Jerry Conway again on drums. Dave Pegg pulling in the bass. The bass is coming really strong and forward on this. Martin Barr's guitar is face melting as is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And Ian is also credited for something on this album called the Fairlight CMI. Yeah, what is that? I saw that credit. It's the Computer Musical Instrument. It's basically... (laughs) Mellotron 3.0. It's a digital synthesizer, sampler, and digital audio workstation. And the picture I'm looking at has... This old, you know how the the big old monitors that were just basically a a cube. Yes. But it was all that green, green on black. Oh, yeah. But there's also a keyboard, like a computer keyboard, but also a synthesizer keyboard in the picture as well. Wow. So it's this, this mad science kind of Frankenstein's audio monster of wave files and what you can do with who knows what. So Ian was yet again, Ian is on the cutting edge of, t- you wouldn't think of it from that old curmudgeon, but boy, is he on the cutting edge. We've got Lyricon blues. We've got the CMI, yeah, the, the Fairlight CMI. Like it's, it's really cool that he is getting into this. It's funny to think that whatever program that was that had to be housed in a single unit, you could probably download onto your phone. Oh my gosh, yeah. You could send it in a text message. Yeah. In 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so cool. Regarding Martin, this is the beginning for me of the sound that that I actually think is my favorite sound out of Martin. This era of Martin. Yep. Getting into catfish, getting into oh. crest. Oh. Yeah. Fish my cat. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a because you introduced me to this this kind of trio of of these later folk albums, mm-hmm. Catfish, Broadsword, and Crest, like they have a special spot for me as well. Yeah, I, I just I just love I love how I don't even know how to describe it, but I love this this sound that we are hearing already on this song from Martin, and this really, you know, as soon as I hear this tone, and I don't know if it's because it's the kind of guitar he's using or what, but it transports me back to my youth when I first heard it and it really gives me a very special feeling. It's that ripping electric that we're accustomed to, but it also, I don't know if it's, if it's the exact same thing, but because it's paired with this kind of newer synth sound, it sounds a little different, but I, I feel like there's like a freshness to it. It's not like same old mm-hmm. Martin. It's brand new, amazing, still face melting Martin. Yeah. Hard to identify. It seems it, it's simultaneously very clean sounding, but also incredibly gritty. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a nice, clean, it's like a pond pebbles that you would put in a fish tank. It's a, it's a, it's a sandpaper that hasn't yet been used. Fresh, 
80 grit sandpaper. Just ready to, ready to do what you need it to do. My heart. <laughs> it's in uh, some sort of a common time. It's not, not, a, not a really complex time signature, although we do have some really fun moments of syncopation. Musically, it's it's not taxing on the mind to to kind of absorb, which I think is is not a terrible idea for an opener to an album. Yeah, why know? not? Yeah, you want to you want as many people to feel like they are getting it as you move into the next track. Right, you, you ease them into it. Yeah, there's a couple little moments that I think are are really cool when we get to I suppose the fourth verse. He's the lonely fear of dying. Uh-huh. The music pulls way back so that Ian's oh, yeah. voice becomes a lot, you know, basically all you can focus on. He's the lonely fear of dying and for some of living too. And then, you know, all the instruments come back in shortly thereafter, but it really, it seems like they are purposefully highlighting that stanza. And I think we will talk about that soonishly. <laughs> yes, soonishly we will. The other thing that is really cool is that Ian is really in his in a very high register for a lot of this, especially after the key changes, they go up. Yeah. And Ian's Ian's belting it out and he sounds great. Yeah, it's I think it's is it under wraps where he blows out his voice? I think he's work he's slowly working his way up the register. And goes a little too until far. Until he hits the point where it's it's too far, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's under wraps. But this is I mean, this is terrific. This is almost like he could literally be in a in a musical. Could literally be Lancelot in Lerner and Lowe's Camelot. Sure, right. Yes, he could be. Yeah, I think he's pretty much at his he's really in his sweet spot. I really think mm-hmm. he is. It's really, really nice. There's I mean, every now and then there's a point where it's like, oh, that's really high. But it's he it, it I don't really hear him straining just yet. No, it doesn't make, listening to it, it doesn't make me feel like, ooh, oh no. I, it just makes yeah. me feel freedom and, and excitement. There's such a there's such a, a burning passion behind it, like pushing it up into that register, yeah. He seems, his, he seems revitalized. It seems like, you know, this change of personnel and kind of getting A out, it seems like it's a fresh new E and he's molted his skin. Yeah, maybe there was, there was a moment of... He's moved into a bigger shell. It's a bigger shell, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a matter of not. I don't know. I mean, I don't want. To, I don't want to say like he saw his mortality where he, there was this moment of like, listen, this has to be a tall album, or else. Mm. But I mean, maybe there was this this kind of like his life flash before his eyes. So there's a new appreciation for what he has. I don't know. Like 100% speculative. No, I I don't think that's off. I think that, you know, maybe there is a sense of like that the combination of the end of Stormwatch and then A did feel like a bit of a death. And he's escaped. He's escaped death. Not today, Satan. (laughs) Not today. When you think about it, in in two years between 79 and 80, like you said, Stormwatch and A, a lot happened. A lot happened a lot. that for any other band could very well have been a death knell. Bands as good as Tull have been broken up, have 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 stopped for less. Absolutely, yeah. But Ian persevered with 
the assistance of Eddie Jobson and Terry Ellis and and us, frankly, and, and us. I mean, he. We haven't gotten the thank you email, but I know it's coming. It's coming any day now. Speaking of emails and thank yous, Nick, shall we take a little moment to do our housekeeping now to be found in the middle of the episode? That was the best segue I could ever think of. Mary, Marley, if you will. Mary and Marley. I'm so, sorry I'm late. It took me a while to find the new part of the episode. It's it's okay, Mary. We we just got here, so it's it's fine. I mean, you're actually perfectly oh. on time. So oh, I left I left me wig on that tree. Oh, is that what that is? I thought it was a a, a dead animal. No, I thought it was a bird's nest. Oh, it's got eggs in it from the floor <laughs> when I was doing the shopping. Oh, thank you so much, Mary. I thank you for this printout that you have here. Yeah, greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Okay, so we will start with a lovely five-star review. Sir, sensors have detected another star in the sky. Dear Lord, that's five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. That Omen is going to pick up. Omen, if you would, please. Review from Greg K. All Things Tull. This podcast is fun, clever, informative, and just a little bit silly. Nick and Omen do an extraordinary job of examining every Jethro Tull song in chronological order. They discuss in detail the song's structures, lyrics, possible meanings, and relevance of each song. I've been a fan of JT for nearly 50 years, and yet... These young men manage to surprise and delight me with new information or a fresh look at songs that Ian penned long before they were even a glimmer. They bring a good dose of humor to their presentation and are always supremely entertaining. Highly recommended. Thank you, Greg. Thank we you, Greg. We always love hearing from the the veteran tall fans, the... The giants upon whose shoulders we are standing, as it were. You know, what I, I, I realized, thanks to, to Greg's review here, is... What's that? I think the only reason you are doing this podcast is to be referred to as young. It's <laughs> The base tall the base tall listeners are going to be older than we are, so you are... You you still want to be a young whippersnapper, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's it's um, <laughs> I've my, the wrinkles just fade away into just, my flesh. It's like bathing in in virgin baby blood. It's it's just amazing. Nick, what have you got over there? I have an email. <clears throat> Your emails, sir. From James P. This came back in the middle of A, or early on in A, rather, I should say. Hey, Momes. Yesterday, I was listening to your episode on Filingdale Flyer while driving to a Martin Barr concert. Oh, jealous. And I thought I should drop you a line to say how much I enjoy your show. I've been listening almost from the beginning. 
I discovered Talk Tall to Me as you were starting stand-up and have been a faithful listener ever since. Wow. I look forward to weekly drops and always keep an unplayed episode in reserve just in case I find myself in a podcast emergency. With every episode, <laughs> I learn new and interesting things about the music or lyrics or both, and you all strike the right balance between serious analysis and levity. I love that you admire Ian Anderson for his brilliance, but do not ignore that he is a prickly character, to say the least. I discovered Tull in my parents' basement. I was run... Oof. Plenty, oh plenty of stories starts that way. <laughs> I was rummaging through milk crates that held my older brother's record collection. Mm-hmm. My brother owned Aqualong, Songs from the Wood, Heavy Horses, and Stormwatch. I listened to those records repeatedly while poring over the lyrics trying to make sense of many Britishisms they contained. Those albums still define the Tull sound for me. At the time, I did not know the existence of other JT albums. My ignorance stemmed from the fact that I grew up in a small town without a record store and many other conveniences of modern life, and this was, of course, in the days before the internet. During a trip to the city, I ventured into a record store and discovered more Tull albums. My brother and I acquired every album in the Tull catalog up to Broadsword. Appropriate. We even had the bootlegs My God and Supercharged. A few years ago, a flood destroyed the whole collection, and I miss those records dearly. Ouch. That was that was a journey. That's heartbreaking. Sad, sad tragedy. A sad, a sad ending to the tale. But amazing. Thank you for the jump start and for the first writer in there, James P. We greatly appreciate it, as always. Yes, and James, thank you for your your infinite patience in sticking with us for all these episodes. That's really quite amazing. Also, good on you for having the mental fortitude to keep one tell <laughs> to keep one talk tell to me episode in reserve in case of emergency. Yeah, break glass. Break glass. Listen to talk tell to me. Amazing. Thank you so much. As always, thank you for our listeners. If you want to write in, you can reach us at momes at fecklessmomes.com or you can head over to fecklessmomes.com and there is a contact us form right on that front page. You can also get your question tattooed on a large piece of your own skin, photograph it and send it to us. Picks or it did not happen. Indeed. Nick Allman, welcome to the very special second half of this episode. Part two. We are turning over the record of the episode. That's right. I'm putting the needle in my groove. Oh, you dirty boy. <laughs> Let's jump into the meat and potatoes of, of our specialty, I, I would say. I, I don't think I'm I'm wrong in, in saying that. We are gonna dive into lyrics now. Let's dive let's talk about what Beastie is. And what lyrics they are. Nick, this is um <clears throat> What do you got? This is a this is a provocative song for me. And the reason I really like this song and this album and a lot of this era is because it really it really tickles my philosophy bone. <laughs> That's it. Really I, bones my philosophy tickle. I really wish you wouldn't do that in public. I, <laughs> I don't want to have to call the authorities, but I will. But it really, it really gets to 
and this is why I find so much value in Tull, because it really addresses some of the fundamental questions or problems or facts of the human experience. Sure. I mean, let's think about we had the the folk trio slash question mark quartet. Yep. So we had we had Songs from the Wood, Heavy Horses, Stormwatch that were very environmentally aware, that were very much talking about climate change and things of that nature, which brought us into A, which was very surprisingly current event heavy. Topical, yeah. Topical, yeah. Now we're getting back a little bit. We're taking a step back into what uh, early Tull had, which was more kind of human experience, more general, more more overarching as opposed to something that was more laser focused. And I think that with this song in particular, and we'll see if this holds true for the rest of the album, but I think that for this song, we are really taking, Ian is turning his gaze inward into the landscape of the human soul. Yes. From the early days of infancy through trembling years of youth, long murky middle age and Final hours long in the tooth. He's the hundred names of terror, creature that you love the least. Picture his name before you and exorcise the beast. From early days of infancy through trembling years of youth, long murky middle age and final hours long in the tooth. Here's the hundred names of terror, creature you love the least. Picture his name before you and exorcise the beast. So this this song is all about the beast, quote unquote, right? And his hit, and he's it's a gendered it's a gendered beast. It is a he referred to as a he. His pronouns are he, him, his, he, him, fear. <laughs> and it really it really describes more the relationship of the beast to humankind, to the listener. Um, more than the beast itself, but it almost it almost right. is sort of like giving you the wink of like, you know what I'm talking about. Right, exactly. In telling us, in describing that relationship between beast and man, he is therefore telling us who and what the beast is, right? Like the, the beast yeah. is the beast is fear, the beast is badness, the beast is our our Cro-Magnon Neanderthal lizard brain at times. Yeah. And I think you said, I think it really is fear, you know, and, and we, he, we skirt around it a couple of times. He's the hundred names of terror, the darkness when the campfire is dead to each his private hell. It is the fear. And, and I think you, you know, you also nailed it with, it's the primeval primordial fear. Yeah. That as an evolutionary trait kept us alive for thousands of years. Well, I mean, even even that second verse coming up, he refers to the beastie as a specter. Uh-huh. Going back to the lizard brain, in the darkness when the campfire's dead yep, to yep. each his private hell. darkness we've we've mentioned that particularly back in i think songs from the wood how important a fire was yeah because it's the only thing standing between early humans and the unknown and as we as we are gifted with imagination 
we as humans fill the unknown with everything that we're afraid of. And yeah. we are experts at creating, I love the line, the ever-changing nature of the beast. You can witness now the ever-changing nature of the beast. Human beings always have fear. And as we, as we have evolved, what we are afraid of changes to sure. a certain extent. Absolutely. There's, there's the, the human condition. There's always something to be afraid of, whether it's logical or not. Back then it was the campfire going dead. If your campfire goes dead now, you go in the house. It's not scary, but you worry about inflation. You worry about nuclear war. You worry about any number of things that even if they're not that likely could happen. And that is our fear. Or you worry about, you know, what happens if you have to speak to someone over the phone? You know, the, the, oh, sure. every generation has a new crop of fears that that arise based on their conditions. And uh, I just, I, I love this. I love these lyrics so much. There's so many fun things to look at here. I love the, in the third verse, we have kind of solutions for the beast. You know, things that you could do. <laughs> yeah. You can wear a warmer sporin. If you wear a warmer sporin. A warmer sporin, a, a very nice little, uh, a very nice reference to callback. Stormwatch, yep. And, you know, and I think in this case, there's, of course, the silliness of like, yeah, keep your, keep your junk warm, I guess. But, <laughs> but I think it's also like, you know, you can, you can make yourself comfortable. Sure. And that will help separate you a little bit from that yawning gulf of terror that surrounds us at all times, but it's not going to get rid of it. Sure. Mentally, if you are in a safe space, you will be more comfortable. You will be happy. If you're out in the cold, you're going to be more uncomfortable and maybe more defensive or more more wary. Right. Yeah. And you can pop those pills and visit some psychiatrist who will say, there's nothing I can do for you. Everywhere is a danger zone. Yeah. yeah. And I love, I love this line so much that you go to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist says, I'd love to help get rid of it, but I've got one of my own. <laughs> oh my God. You can pop the pills and visit some psychiatrist who'll say, there is nothing I can do for you. Everywhere's a danger zone. I'd love to help get rid of it, but I've got one of my own. Again, it's the human condition. We are human. It is built in. Right. And so yeah. for me, this verse is very clearly saying you can dull a little bit the experience of fear, yeah. but you cannot get rid of it. So I want to, now that we're like halfway through the song about, I want to maybe take a different approach to this. Is this not, is this maybe not like a predator prey relationship but is it maybe like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde relationship? Interesting. So you're saying that that rather than the beast being fear, the beast is the evil, the capacity for evil that lurks within each of us? 100%. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and is not, isn't the scariest thing possible the fear that you could lose control and, and become an evil, destructive being or commit heinous acts. Okay, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking I was thinking the fact that someone else that you are a like that you are a passive civil person and someone else is not at that level. So they are therefore that that even though you are both human, uh. there is a humanity that separates you and you are at risk if you are 
Because the beast lurks in all of us. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Just because you have control of the beast doesn't mean everyone else has control of the beast. I I just read the wow. Joker War storyline in the Batman comics, and oh, okay. a very, very common theme that comes back all the time, particularly with DC villains, is we don't play by rules, so we will always win. Batman will never kill. He's always going to put the Joker back into Arkham and the Joker is always going to get back out. Right. And then wreak havoc. And that's another, that's a theme with the Joker as well, that not only does the Joker have the capacity to commit acts of evil, but what's almost more terrifying about him is that he has the ability to make other people commit evil acts. Sure. That's what's so, that what's, that's what makes him such a compelling villain. Right. Yeah, that he that his his psychopathy is infectious almost. Yeah. 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 And you know, sometimes through manipulation, sometimes through drugs. Through fear. But yeah, through fear, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a significant point, you know, uh, about the beast or about beastie that it is you could view it like a disease. It's like, you know, everyone's yeah. sitting around the campfire and even if you've got it under control, if the person next to you starts freaking out, that can lead to you losing control as well. Sure. Right. It, it, it could very well be infectious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, I do like, I do like the idea of, of seeing it both ways though, that it could also affect you as well. Like you said, particularly bringing us into that next verse, which I think is also maybe the chorus. It's kind of hard to differentiate in this song in particular. There's a beast upon my shoulder. Yeah. 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 I think I would say that that's the chorus because the tune changed a little bit, a little bit. Right. So there's a beast upon my shoulder and a fiend upon my back. Beastie. Feel his burning breath, a heaving smoke oozing from his stack. There's a beast upon my shoulder. So there's there's this ever present mm-hmm. entity that is instilling fear, causing panic, causing me to react in a less than humanitarian way, you know, causing you to, to, to act for yourself as opposed right. to for the greater good. Uh, and I love that you said that it's ever present. You know, a, a lot of this language kind of makes it feel like the beast is right behind you. At all times. At all times. Yeah. The beast is around that corner. The beast is under your bed. It, it's it's under your own sheets. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. It's lurking in your own heart. And for me, I, so we mentioned a little earlier on that in that final verse, the music drops out so that Ian's voice becomes really clear. Yeah. This is for me where I get literal goosebumps with this song because I, I, and again, I, the reason that I think Ian is just so brilliant with all this is that he gives you, he paints you this horrifying picture of the beast and then, and then he gives you the broadsword to fight it. Yeah. I, I, I think leading up to this point, it's, it's been a little more general, but this seems to be more personal and maybe it's just because he gets so quiet and he's like, it's like he's, he's face to face with you and he's discussing it, but this feels, this feels so much more 
like minuscule and like he's really picking out personal instances of things here. Yes, he's the lonely fear of dying and for some of living too. He's the lonely fear of dying and for some of living too. Oh my gosh, we do an entire episode just unpacking that line. Yeah. He's your private nightmare pricking. He d- just loved to turn the screw. He's your private nightmare pricking. He just loved to turn the screw. It reminds me of the um, the Dementors from Harry Potter. Ooh, yeah, a little bit, sure. They, they become whatever you fear the most. Yeah. So now we have the, the what are you going to do about it? You know, the solution. So stand as one defiant, yes, and let your voices swell. Stare that beastie in the face and really give him hell. Beastie! So stand as one defiant, yes, and let your voices swell. Stare that beastie in the face and really give him hell. Beastie! Yeah, if he's always on your back, and he's always there, and he's always present and you're always running away from him, he's always going to be behind you, and he's always going to be there. And the faster you run, the faster he'll pursue you. He's right there. So how do you do it? You turn around. Nick, this is what just gets me with this song, because it's so related to mythology, to human psychology. You know, we've talked a little bit in the past about Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist of the past century, taught at Sarah Lawrence before I went there. Oh, did he really? That's cool. Did you not know he taught at Sarah Lawrence? I did not know that. That was a big part of the reason I wanted to go there. That's really cool. Because, because he, he he was there at some point. He had all, he had, yeah, he was okay. there. I was late. Fair enough. I was late. <laughs> but he has this description, which I will probably butcher. And we actually heard a description of this at the Renaissance Fair at one point. But this idea that we are all pursued by this, I think Campbell calls it a dragon but you sure, can as easily right. say a beast. Sure. We're all pursued by this dragon and it's our fear and it's everything that we just that we hate about ourselves in the world and we run and run and run and run from it. And no matter how far we try to get away from it, it's always right behind us. And as soon as we turn and plant ourselves and confront it, we realize that it is our own bliss which has been chasing us this whole time. Huh. Not exactly what Ian is saying, but it's so closely related in a way. You know, it's like yeah. the only way that you can escape from this cycle of fear is to turn and face it. I think there's something to be said about that because the the whole basis of Campbell's work is nothing is original. It's all based on these these bullet points that every story relies on. Yes. So, yes. so that's that's exactly the case here. And it's it's so poignant because it is these bullet points that affect the human psyche so perfectly. That's really well said. And and the thing that's so exciting about Joseph Campbell's work is that he does comparative mythology. So he takes myths from cultures that had no contact with each other. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yep. And pulls out these central images that are the same. Oh, I love that so much. And so, you know, this this sense of being pursued, I mean, that is really very, very much ingrained in our in our instinct, in our in our DNA. And for the entire existence of, of humanity, we have always had this problem of the beast and what to do about him. I'm going to be 50% self-serving right now and tell you, if you like... <laughs> 50% self-serving, 50% altruistic, and 50% bullshit. If you like the idea of 
cross-cultural mythological Venn diagrams, basically. Oh, you know I do. I know you do. I would highly recommend looking up Dirk Ashton, D-Y-R-K-A-S-H-T-O-N, his Paternus trilogy, P-A-T-E-R-N-U-S. Get the books, get the e-books. If you want, get the audiobooks. I narrated them. Narrated by Nick McGill. Narrated by Nick McGill. But if you, if that is your thing, like, oh my gosh, the, the, the amount of research that man put together to really create this story built on the fact that, yes, they all kind of overlap. Yeah. If that's fascinating to you, go ahead and check them out. That's really cool. And and I feel like Ian is really tapping into the the deep cultural imagery and, and miasma of of European culture at least. I'm um I started reading a Jules Verne novel called The Carpathian Cath The Carpathian Castle. I thought you were gonna say the Carpathian Catholic. <laughs> Probably would the, have been very the Carpathian different. Carpathian Catheter. <laughs> oh. And it's all about well, I haven't gotten to what it's about yet, but the setting of it is this small <laughs> remote town in the Carpathian Mountains where people are, you know, like 50 years behind the time of everywhere else and, sure. and they're extremely superstitious. And something is happening in the castle across the valley that, that they can all see and they can't figure out what it is. And it's oh, clearly cool. some kind of science fiction-y stuff with electricity and magnetism. But but what they are seeing is like, oh my God, it's the devil. It's the devil releasing oh, sure. all the vampires. It's the werewolves. <laughs> and it's just like they, all of the dialogue is just this list, this incredible list of local demons and and oogie boogies. Yeah, well, it's this. It's it's basically what Arthur C. Clarke said that any sufficiently advanced technology yes. is indistinguishable from magic. Right. Exactly. Exa- exactly. That's that. That's totally the premise of this story. But it's fascinating to see because I know very little about Eastern Europe. Sure. It's really cool to see, you know, Vern's take on the local mythology there. Yeah. I want to go back to our lyrics here. You were saying you were saying that, that it, it fits into that. We were saying it fits into other pieces. I think that brings up a good point that in no point is Ian like really specific here. He's super broad terms in general in in the description of the beastie here that it applies it it can apply perfectly in any number of situations it captures the vague feeling of dread that we all have at various points where it's like i'm afraid of something that i can't quite identify you know being afraid of the dark why are you afraid of the dark it's not because of you, you know an exact thing because if it was an exact thing it wouldn't be as scary yeah I'm playing Arkham Asylum right now, the first of the Batman games, to go back to Batman. Oh, sure. And Rook is watching, and we got to the portion where you are affected by the fear toxin from from Scarecrow. Scarecrow. And Rook just clung to me. He just huddled up into me. He said, I'm so scared. I was like, buddy, there's nothing to be afraid of. They're not real things. They're not even based on real people. It's a video game. And I said, it's if you are afraid of this, it's as real as your sword and shield. And that's that's kind of how we teach Rook to face his fears. Like Ray says that he mm-hmm. has laser beams and every now and then we'll hear him walk into the bathroom alone and we'll hear him go pew, pew, pew. And he's like, <laughs> he's shooting his fears with his laser beam or something. I love that. It's amazing. And it's playing to the human psyche. And it's it's 
it's working on those, it's pushing those buttons that everybody has, regardless of the shape and the color and the, the impetus for that fear. There's always a button that is a fear. My button is a triangle. Is it? It's a pink triangle, isn't it? So, Nick. Omen. Let's talk fear. Okay. What is something that has scared you that genuinely has terrified you the most in your life? I don't think it's a fear. Besides your electric bill. Gee. I don't think it's a fear. I think it's more of like a lizard brain thing. Like swarms of ants sicken me. Like physically, I, I am, I'm repulsed by them, but it's not a fear. I think it's like, it's a lizard brain fear. I've got one. I, do you know the, do you know the legend of Bloody Mary? Yeah. Where if you speak her name in the mirror a certain number of times and depending on the telling of it, it's a different number that she will appear in the mirror. And if, you, you know, in some versions, she'll reach out and grab you or whatever. Yeah. For whatever reason, when I heard that, I was at the age where it just lodged in my skull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is a permanent resident there. It has a rent-controlled apartment. Can't get it to move out. It's not moving, no. And it still affects me to this very day. When I get up, and, and it's funny that you mentioned Rook's lasers, because when I get up in the middle of the night and go use the bathroom, when I turn off the light and I know that the mirror is behind me, part of my brain always imagines some fearsome beastie coming out of the mirror to attack me. And I always... And it's got it's become so habitual now that I barely even notice it. But I always do a visualization of some cool swords shooting out of my back, or me becoming a porcupine and the, the beastie <laughs> getting impaled on my porcupine quills, or whatever. You know, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. But but that was a fear. You know, that I had a I that used to really affect me. Yeah. As a as a kid, I would always open the bat the the shower curtain when I went to the bathroom at night. Oh yeah. Always terrified me. Nowadays, I'm. I don't think I have anything terribly irrational. I will make a point of not looking in the bathroom mirror when I go to the bathroom at night. So I think that's like the closest thing to relate to it. I guess, I mean, the most, the most I have is like minor superstitions, really. But it's not terribly a fear. It's not like, so I have this weird thing that I've had, I think, since college for some reason, where... Even though the, the the legitimate superstition is you always put on your right shoe first. Oh, for I've some never reason, heard that. I don't know. I don't know the origin of it, but for some reason, I I always have to put on my left shoe first. Oh, interesting. But I, I don't know the origin of it. If I don't do it, it's not like oh, my day is ruined. But it's almost like a compulsion. It's yeah, it's muscle memory. I'm definitely a little OCD. I would say we don't have any mirrors on an outside facing wall. That is a superstition as well. That's a doorway to something outside the house. Yeah, sure. Wow. We definitely have th- have that. I don't know if that was terribly conscious or not, but yeah, I don't have anything terribly like like irrational fears. I mean, I have a I have a fear that Rook is not going to have enough money when he grows up. You know, like because we we have nothing and he has to take care of us. Sure, sure. That's, that is a very rational fear, but. But no, I think that's, you know, that's, that is, that is a primal, that's one of those primal fears of not being able to sustain your offspring. Gosh, yeah. What are we doing next week? What's the next track? What's track number two off of the broadsword and the beast, Omen? Well, in order to affix a broadsword to your body, you might need a belt. And to close that belt, you might need 
A clasp. A buckle. Oh, okay, a clasp. <laughs> a zip tie. We're listening to The Clasp. That's right. Clasp next week. In the meantime, while you are waiting for Clasp next week, you can help us keep the foe of anonymity at bay by popping us five of those pills, those star-shaped pills, the ones that take the edge off for us. The best way to keep the beast off of your shoulder and the fiend off of your back is to wear Talk Tall to Me merch, which you can find at TeePublic, which has a link in our show notes. If you have a lonely fear of living, why don't you find some company in our wonderful community, the Talk Tall to Me Discord group? Until next week, I am the early days of infancy, Nick McGill. I am the warmer sporin, Omen Said. We are the final hours, long in the tooth, the feckless momes. And this is the hundred names of terror, Talk Tall to Me. Let's see. Um, next, uh, do we have an E monster? A scare E monster? Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's me. Oh, wonderful. Okay, come on in. Come on in. Thank you so much for uh, making time uh, to to see us today. Thank you so much for seeing me. I know it's a uh, it's it's a bit of a late appointment, but I'm uh, I just got out of school. I got bills to pay. Yeah, yeah. You know that's that's great. We. We love to see our we love to see our beasts with who are motivated to work. You know, a, a lot of as you know, a lot of the younger generation they just wanna they wanna haunt and hide. You know, they want they don't they don't want to put the time in. They don't want to put the time in. That's well said. Oh, and you dropped a tooth. Okay, I'll just set that aside oh, for later. Yeah, it's that, that's part of the fear of losing teeth. It's a common oh, nightmare of the humans. Wow, that's great. Good to know that you have a specialty. So I'm just looking at your resume and uh, uh, and I see. Uh, that in your school that you recently graduated from, you got you got an A plus in vampirism. That's wonderful. That's that's true. The teeth that I have that are remaining are very sharp. They they produce a lot of blood. That's great. That's great. And you did a you did a, a ten week intensive with the Kraken. That's true. I learned to hold my breath, and every now and then I'll get a tentacle to sprout. It's very that's, terrifying. That's wonderful. You know, you know, he and I go way back. We. We went to drowning school together. Ah, the stories I could tell. Did I? Did you? I would not call on that reference if that's the case. Okay. <laughs> it's good to know. Thank you. All right. Now, you know, just, uh, just a, a couple more questions here. How do you feel about traveling for work? How many fathoms deep will you go? Listen, I, I've, uh, like I said, I've got bills to pay. I'm a singer. Sure. I'm a single monster. I don't have any, uh, any spawn yet. So I'm, I'm willing to travel if that's what it takes to get the job. Yeah. And listen, you know, the, the price of darkness just keeps on rising. If you, if you know, if I'm not careful, they're going to turn my lights on one day. Oh, goodness heavens let let's not let's hope that never happens we got need to keep the fear going so so listen i just i just had a basilisk cancel on me and uh and and the zombie union is just terrible to work with these days so oh i've heard that yeah i have a placement it's it's a little bit of an inconvenience but i'm i'm wondering if you'd be interested in a in a double assignment we've got two we've got two americans 
They're easily frightened, but they live about a thousand miles apart. A long-distance dual residency? Exactly, exactly. Normally we would give this to a harpy, but we've just had a very unfortunate birdseed accident. So I'm, I'm hearing that I've got a little wiggle room here. Can I maybe up the salary a little bit or do you offer benefits? Well, I can tell you that what we've seen of your wiggling is very impressive. Okay. You are definitely the best wiggler that we've had in here today. I and take pride in that. I can get you a filth account if that would help sweeten the deal. Normally we don't do that until, you know, somebody's second year, but I can get you your filth account now. I'm interested. And I can also get you a company cloud. Really? Yeah, it's not a new model, but it does run. If, if I don't have to use my own cloud, I'm, I'm very happy to consider it. Let's listen. You know what? I, I think we can put together a package for you here that's, that's going to be really exciting. And there's just one other thing that you need to know about this job. And this has, this has scared a lot of people off. I, you know what? I'd like to say I'm very familiar with being scared and scaring, so I'm, I'm prepared for it. All right. You know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to write it on a piece of paper. I'm writing it now. Okay. Writing it now. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I like this. There it is. I'm very excited. There it is. Would you like a cup of human blood, by the way? I'm titillated. Okay. If I need to do a spit take, I, I, it might be very effective. One lump of gristle or two. I'm a no-gristle kind of guy, oh, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, good for you! Good for you. That's how you keep that figure. All right. So just uh, go ahead and read that out for me. Are you kidding me? Does this say that Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Mom's audio network? Uh, Colin the Hydra, uh, yeah, we've, we've got another case on our hands. I'm sorry about this. I'm not. I'll, how dare you? Oh, I know, right, right. I know no, I'm a fresh no to be applicant, but I'm out of here. We'll I'm take gone. it. How we'll dare mail you? you your teeth. I thought you were professional. 